KKNW iRadio 76 proudly presents the 515 Show with your host, John Sarver. Who's at the 515 door today? You know, we, we had this gentleman on a couple of times, and we went out there and we saw uh, one of his races, actually a couple of his races, and one at mid-Michigan where they kind of just own the place. God love them. Everybody loves this crew because they come in, they're serious but friendly, they get their stuff done, and it's like the cat in the hat. They clean up and you don't even know they're there, which is an incredible rarity, but it is something that that you originally see drag racing snowmobiles, and you go, what? Until you see these snowmobiles... like blast off a couple of mustangs and you go okay this is serious and when you see these guys and ladies that close to the ground going that fast you are in awe you really are and the guy who helps wrangle all these folks up is william alexander of the michigan snowmobile asphalt drag racers association hiya bill how are you sir just dandy all right so for our Irish friends out there, there is no snow here in Michigan right now. Well, I don't know. I, I think mid-Michigan got nailed today, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I, I got some on the west side of the state a little bit, too. Um, it's come and go, but it can go now. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like we say, too. You know, once Christmas is done, your services are no longer needed, Snow. All right, so now, it's it's been a long winter, I'm pretty well sure, for you guys. What's new? What's happening over there? Oh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the same for us, which is good. Um, you know, working through some things. This was a, a big off season because some of the rules came up for uh, for allowance, we'll say, in terms of what's going to change. So that's been taking a, quite a bit of a task to get everybody on the same page there. But uh, other than that, um, kind of a, a lighter off season compared to the last couple, which has been good. Um, because I know some of us uh, on the board, we've been doing this nonstop for almost three years through COVID and everything like that, trying to make sure everything stays together. And uh, it's been a we've t- kind of taken a little bit of a, a break for a few weeks here and there, but uh, things are going well going into the season. All right, let's take this by a couple of steps here. All right, so now we have new rules. New rules by who and who made them. Uh, we always take the racers' feedback, especially on the heads-up classes. Uh, obviously, there's really no rules in our bracket classes except for no delay boxes. Other than that, it's as long as you have the proper safety equipment and your uh, snowmobile is deemed safe, you know, run what you brung, essentially, in a bracket race. Um, and then, but the heads-up classes, uh, we try to lock in the rules for two years at a time, so that way people can build to them. Uh, you know, competition stays somewhat together, and then... Uh, we open it up at our year-end meetings for uh, some more feedback, some changes, and then we take that feedback, and then the board brings it in internally. If, if the racers vote unanimously for things, then you know, usually they adopt them right away. Um, some things are obviously not unanimous when you come up to heads up racing. Uh, everybody's got their own personal agenda or side or things they want to make sure gets in based off their own sleds or, or equipment. So that's where the board comes into play that we – we have to have the end all where we make the best decision for the group and for the class moving forward. I mean, how many rule changes do you have? Uh, this year there was, uh, I think, proposed in each of the two heads-up classes, five or seven. 
Uh, about half of them were unanimous that, that were pretty self-explanatory, and then there's a couple in each class that uh, we'll say are still up for debate that are uh, very uh, confrontational, depending on what side you're on, uh, which happens in all heads-up racing, and um, you know whether it be your particular package or your or setup, uh, you know you want to fight for for your side of it to have a competitive advantage, of, possibly and. And that's where us as the board have to just make sure, again, we keep competition in line and, and make sure everybody has the same playing field to start with. I mean, which rules are they trying to change this year? Uh, some of the chassis things, because uh, there can be some advantages there with chassis and how um, how little flex you have in them can obviously add up similar to uh, you know, in cars where you want some flex but not too much, so that way the more of the power goes to the ground versus, uh, you know, a flex in the chassis. So chassis rules are always up for debate uh, or, or contentious because, uh, you know, some people want to build a sled and then bitch about the rules. Uh, <laughs> apologize for that. And then, you know, try to get the rules made for their, for their piece of equipment. And then there's others that make their, their equipment to the rules and try to, you know, work within that. So that's that's usually where the confrontation comes up when rules come into play. And I know that happens in, in all forms of heads-up racing. Uh, I've been, you know, in, involved with some car stuff and, and some other forms of snowmobile racing, and, and you have both sides of it where some people want to build what they want to build and then get the rules changed, and others build to the rules and, and fight that way too. So it, it, uh, it's always a uh, – as long as it stays respectful and for the good of the class, it, it's – all in good fun. Yeah, but how does that work out? I mean, do you have to have at least 40% of the group saying, we want to change this, and then you do? Uh, we, we allow for proposals prior to our meeting, and uh, those get posted ahead of the ahead of time, so that way all racers can, can see what's proposed or what's proposed for changes, so that way they can, you know, get their research, uh, look into it themselves, talk amongst each other to get an understanding of what that proposal may or may not be. So that way, ideally everybody comes with the, you know, background or at least some information and they don't get hit upside the head with a surprise. And then, uh, we go through a few hours worth of debate and discussion over all the proposals and, and have votes. And, um, obviously unanimous ones get put through quite easily. And if there's any, uh, obviously we try to stay on a majority side of it, but even then, um, because of us as board members, some of us race as well, so we try to stay out of it unless we have to get involved with it. Um, so it's, it's a, it can be a long process. Yeah, I was going to say, Bill, this isn't like you have uh, three people amongst you, <laughs> you know, no. to try to get this rule done. I mean, do people knock on the door and say, all right, here's a story, Bill. I want to have all of our sleds, and I'm just something quick, all of them orange. All right, so now I write down a proposal. I Walk me through this. I give it to the board, and the board says either yay or nay, let's put it on the agenda. Or do they go, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's some that we do just say, okay, obviously this is a very personal uh, agenda-driven uh, subject, so that one, you know, those usually get scrubbed off pretty quick. But uh, for the most part, we leave it pretty open, and you bring it to the board, and and we allow the proposal to be, you know, at least heard and, and discussed. And some of them are that easy, whereas, you know, the the rest of the group goes, uh, no way, or, <laughs> yeah, I'm in agreement. And we, you know, there's, so, again, out of the five or seven proposals, uh, you know, five of seven were, were very quick. I mean, 
five-minute discussions at most, and, and away you go. Um, but there's always a couple, and, and you kind of know it going through the season uh, leading into it because you start hearing mumbles, you start hearing some things going throughout the season. Uh, so you kind of know what the hot-button topics are um, even before you get there. And that's the reason why we do post them, so that way, you know, people can get, you know, their emotions hopefully removed from it as much as possible. And that way the group can have a, just a good, respectful conversation about making it uh, the best for everybody moving forward. I mean, Bill, what do they ask for? I mean, do they ask for more horsepower, less horsepower, more traction? I mean, what's uh, kind of like the the common theme for rule change? Uh, Depending on the class, obviously it's a lot to do with chassis. Uh, you know, our Pro Stock 800 class is based off from a stock-based chassis, the way it came from the manufacturer. And so, but what can you brace versus what can't you? What can you add for integrity? What can you change maybe for a material? Maybe it came factory with a with aluminum, but you want to change it to chromoly. Um, so that's some of the chassis discussion. Um, on our end, uh, especially again with that Pro Stock class, there, you know, we've had a real long debate on electronics. What can be allowed versus what can't be because a lot of the sleds that are racing came factory carbureted. Well, as a lot of these ignition systems have evolved and some of these snowmobiles that are the higher performance ones in that class, they're 20 years old now. So some of the pieces and parts are becoming non-existent and you, you, we have to change with the times or update so is fuel injection allowed? What can be, you know, what sensors can you run versus what sensors can't you run? Um, how can you do your data management or your data logging? Uh, a lot of those things, especially in that pro stock class, are, are what gets asked for or gets proposed against. And uh, this year, another one that was that came up was fuel. Um, what, you know, do we put a spec fuel involved in that class? Um, similar to the NHRA pro stock classes, how they, you know, they get, I want to say they have too many rules and that's, you know, that's <laughs> hampered some of it. And, and so there, there's a, you know, and I talk amongst a lot of the other asphalt groups, as well as some other people that are not even in snowmobile racing that have been involved in other, uh, aspects of racing in terms of, you know, they all come back to bill when you have too many rules, it also creates too many gray areas. So having a, a, a smaller set of rules, if it's not stated that you can, then you can't. So sometimes adding more rules brings in more gray areas. So um, it, it's a fine balance to make sure that the rules are understandable for everybody and they're not interpreted different. And they, again, based off different combinations, they keep it all on a, on a similar competitive nature. So that way it's all down to driver and tuning and, and putting your best foot forward on that day. I must say this has got to be a little bit rough for um, the rule committee because if you're doing a radical change, like go from carburetor to injectors, it's probably not a $50 swap. So, I mean, how much do you take that in advantage, I mean, to heart when you look at the rule changes going, this could create a financial hardship for people who have been running for years here? Uh, very much so, and that's why... Uh, some of the things even were three and a half months out of the meeting. There's a couple things uh, that have not been finalized yet for that exact fact in terms of, okay, if the way it was voted in or the way it was changed gets put into place, 
well, those two sleds that raced last year are now illegal, and they have to maybe change their whole chassis or, uh, you know, things like that where it's, it's money involved but also time-consuming. And now you're, mm-hmm. you know, nine weeks out from the first race. How do you, you know, how do you expect that to go into place? So there's some things that we, you know, that might have been uh, instituted, but we're saying, okay, it's going to be, we're giving you a year. It goes into place January 1st of next year. So you can race your current setup this year, but you know going into next year you have to make changes. So start making plans accordingly for those changes. So we try to, especially with our group, you know, none of us are racing for thousands of dollars. You know, <laughs> most of the time you race for, you know, four or 500 bucks and, and some internet pride, right? And, uh, you know, and it's very budget-oriented in the bracket class especially as well as the pro stock 800 class and in trying to manage that as well is probably one of the harder things uh when you have a significant rule change that's been proposed or or discussed or or might need to be changed for competitive nature absolutely taken into the budget and the time frame has to be taken it's probably one of the top priorities that we look at yeah because i was thinking about if if you had a lot of carburetor guys I mean, we're just throwing some imaginary numbers here. And, uh, you know, you're running 60-40 carburetor injectors, and all of a sudden that flip-flops. Would you mandate inje- – I mean, again, this is just kind of a dream shotgun question, but would you mandate that all the carburetor guys come into the fuel injection world, or would you make a new class of just carbureted? That's It's funny you bring that up. That's – Obviously, on the injection side, we're not quite there. It's basically, do you allow it or don't you? And, and we, uh, a few years ago, have allowed it. And last year, we had our first snowmobile show up with fuel injection on it. That came factory with carburetors. And it, it went through some growing pains. It did win a race. Uh, but then after that, it did go through some growing pains. And, of course, when it won the race, it, it shocked everybody. And, you know, the, the guys that didn't like the, the thought of it in the first place, see, it's going to, you know, ruin the class. And. Uh, and then there's others that look at it and go, okay, the opportunity because, we're, you know, with the inject, with the ignitions and the carbureted systems that we're running, I mean, my sled, I'll use my sled as an example. By the time I have the MSD and all the proper components and then the carburetors, I'm $5,000. Wow. Um, you know, by, you know, whereas a fuel injection system, uh, again, how they've evolved, we can get into a, a basic, you know, fuel tech FT450 system and the necessary pieces and parts for it for less than three grand. So what once was a, oh, that's going to ruin the class because it's too much money and, you know, people are going to assume they have to have it to win, is actually flip-flopped where it can be more cost-effective to go to a fuel injection system than carbureted now. Um, However, the dynos have proven carburetors can still make a few more horsepower, but obviously with the changing weather conditions, they're not, near as consistent as a, as a fuel injection system. So, um, you know, that's where we allow both combos, but I, you know, again, as, as pieces and parts for some of these combinations become non-existent, I think naturally the class is going to go more one modern as well as gravitate toward more of the fuel injection system because all the snowmobiles from the manufacturers now come with a fuel injection system. Uh, nobody can get really carburetors except for on the very low-end models um, because of EPA compliance. So all the performance snowmobiles from the manufacturers are fuel-injected already. So some guys almost have to backwards engineer them 
to put carburetors on a belt. Oh, man. God, I mean, do you like go with a warm glass of milk and a shot of bourbon when you go to bed? I mean, what goes through your head if you just try to explain that in just a handful of minutes? I mean, holy Lord. I mean, how There's do you... a lot that goes into it. And, and of course, you know, being one of the board members and, and looked upon to make sure we make the best decision for the group, um, you know, we have to over-educate ourselves. And, and that's why I know some people are, are you know, adamant that we make a, a split-second decision so that way they can, you know, proceed with doing things. But, you know, we – I've seen many rules that get put into place as a knee-jerk reaction, and then you go, huh, I, that was an advantage for someone. And so we have to over-educate ourselves, uh, talk to a lot of people. Uh, you know, I've – personally been on the phone with a lot of the fuel injection ignition systems uh, companies. I know the guys at Holly MSB very, very well from my own personal stuff and, and go through what can these things do? What can't they do? Because you still also have the thought process in there that uh, people don't know what they don't know. So they just assume that, you know, Oh, you put fuel injection on it. Now it can miraculously do, uh, you know, traction control or, Sensors can talk to each other on a, on a timely basis and, and all this other stuff that some people get afraid of would ruin the class. Again, where somebody wins with it and then, oh my, now we have to, now everybody has to have that or they're not competitive anymore. So we have to do our due diligence, which takes time and talking to the right people and then take that information and bring it back uh, as a group and talk amongst each other and, and then reach out to some, uh, you know, members of the racing, you know, racing community to our racers and, and get their feedback after we get our feedback and, and, and try to take it all into account to, to make it one at the end. So wow. it, it's not friendly and it's, it's very time consuming, but in the end we were put in place as a board to make sure that uh, the best interest of the group is always set for. So that if we don't, we, we don't feel we're doing our job if we don't piss a few people off <laughs> with that, because if we make everybody happy, then that means, everybody got their way, which might not be for the best interest of the group at the same time. I was going to say, Bill, how many people are in your group right now? Uh, I know last year we had over, uh, just short of 90 members total. Uh, that means with 90 members, those are 90 racers that took a pass down the racetrack in any one of the three classes at any time last year. All right. So if they're showing up, and I'm thinking that you have a um, spring driver's meeting, you know, go over awards and stuff, go over what's new, et cetera? We actually, right. and we, we put our rules meeting with it at the same time. We kind of do a, a rules meeting at the beginning of it. Uh, this year we started at noon, did rules all the way until about 5 o'clock. Then we kind of have our uh, end-of-year uh, group. You know, we're very transparent in terms of the financials of the group and just go over the overall uh, status of the group, get feedback on, on changes and, and anything that, anybody in the group thinks we should make with the race day setup, uh, administration stuff, uh, Facebook, anything that you could think of. We get all that feedback. And then about six fifteen, six thirty, 30, we, we do a big party banquet, uh, award our champions and, and any of the other awards for the year, and then kind of give everybody a, a winter break. So that way that's all cleaned up as we get into the, you know, as it comes time for the season, uh, then it's just a matter of getting everybody signed back up, getting all the admin stuff ready and, and uh, we head up the road to mid-Michigan and set them, set them loose. 
God, would it be easier if you just had somebody from Holly EFI show up and say, look, guys, this is, let me demystify or let me answer some of your questions? Because, I mean, listening to you, it's like, look, carburetors, much as we love them, they're on their way out. There's no there's no stopping this. You know, so uh, it's like, point. Yep. you know, I mean, because I know drag racers or racers in general are very they they're very loyal to their setup. There's a reason why they put that holly on. There's a reason why they use that camshaft. There's a reason why they use those heads. And everybody else's, if it was good, I would be using it. You know, so my setup is comfortable. And now if you're saying, you know, all the carburetor guys, because we can relate on the car side, you know, now you have to go into some kind of fuel injection. Not only do they say, and who's going to provide that for free, but then they say, I'm running fine right now. We've been here before. You know, and it's these, you know, Holly Come Lately folks. Um, you know, it's like, take care of it, Bill. Man, how yep. do you get, whoo, I could about imagine how those kind of things, and of course, we just brought that up as a theoretical. But I mean, man, how do you say, you know, how do you bring that to the board? The board is how many? How many folks are on the board again? We have five, uh, right. myself and then uh, uh, vice president slash secretary, and then three uh, board members. Sure, we can give their names. Uh, we have, and they, we had one new member, so we have Matt Shaw, who's kind of in charge of the tech side of it, technical director, and, and uh, kind of in charge of the overall inspection and, and stuff on race day. Uh, Lisa, who is our, uh, Lisa Flannery, who is our vice president secretary, she helps me do all the admin stuff. Uh, that goes unseen, organizes a bunch of stuff, <laughs> uh, makes some phone calls when I can't. Uh, and then we have uh, Toby Arbuckle, who does a lot. Uh, race day, you've probably seen him when you were there a couple times running around, helping me organize people in the lanes. And, and then we have a newcomer who's been a racer and been with the group for a long time, Joe Brinkheis, um, who I call the muscle, but he kind of helps me. <laughs> I bounce a lot of ideas off him. He's a good friend of mine, too. Uh, we, you know, we do a lot on the, uh, in the snow and just trail ride in the winter too. uh, bounce ideas off them. And he's brought a, a new perspective to the group. Um, cause the other four of us have been on the board now for three years. Um, this will be going on fourth for some of us. Um, and, but Joe brings a new perspective and it's been, uh, well received so far, uh, you know, since his, uh, voting in back in November. So, uh, good group. I mean, everybody that's on the board has raced or continues to race um, in, in all the different classes. So, again, it's not just the, the heads-up classes have a say. Um, this group was founded on the bracket racers, and we still do uh, lean a lot on, on the bracket racers because there's, you know, 60-plus of them strong. I think the race you were at, I think we had 58 that day, um, mm -hmm. and whereas the heads-up classes usually have about 10 apiece. Um, so, you know, the bracket racers definitely have a say in our group, and we, you know, we we take that to, you know, we take their feedback uh, quite well. And, and, again, the board uh, hears it, and, and we're all, we've all been part of any of the classes at one point in time ourselves. So the reason why the gentleman is called the muscle is because? He's, uh, he's the one that, if there ever is a confrontation, I'm going to go stand behind him. <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a, he is a big teddy bear, but he his presence looks <sighs> different. So, um and like you said, he, he has a different perspective and a different way of, of dealing with some things that uh, I think is well needed. It's not, you know, just a, an overbearing thing. It's not just a let's make everybody feel warm and fuzzy either. 
so again, it's been a, a very good addition to the board um, in, in a different perspective on how to deal with some of these challenges that we have. I think we we met the gentleman because it was hot the day that we were up there at Mid Michigan to see you guys, and we stood behind him just to like cool down, get the shade rocking. I mean, he was a big boy. <laughs> so he's up there, and, and like I said, I've uh, you know I I helped him put together his sled. Um, I give him you know a lot of time, a lot of fun times about it, and uh, he's probably got the loudest sled on property. Um, <laughs> so that's that's kind of fun. You always know where it's at. Uh, but no, again, the, the, the group that's uh, been voted in, we are all voted in by the members. It's not like we just, you know, raise our hand and say, hey, I'm going to do this. So, um, you know, the members do uh, put us up and, and, you know, every two years you get kind of re-voted on or, or, you know, if you choose to stay on. So, you know, we are representatives of the group and, and so their feedback is taken first and foremost uh, before any decisions are made uh, and any perspective that we need. Well, I can't believe that Holly, who was going great guns everywhere. I mean, at PRI, they were everywhere. I'm surprised they're they're missing a bet by coming up and knocking on your door and saying, look, folks, next time you have a gathering. I mean, geez, OP, dear Holly EFI representatives who are listening to CKW right now, go find William Alexander. He's not hard to find. You know, I mean, it's something that we've definitely. I, I've looked into it. I've talked to him. I didn't get a chance to go to PRI myself this year. Uh, again, I have you know MSD type ignition myself, so I'm quite familiar with them. I know uh, a lot of the snowmobile community is gravitating toward the the fuel tech, uh, especially that FT450, uh, because it's kind of a, a one stop shop. It's all built into the same unit. Uh, very easy install and, and takes away a lot of the clumsiness of some of the other ignition systems. And, and obviously that one can also run fuel injection at the same time. So, um, you know, it's something that we're maybe not quite there to, to have that, but I encourage everybody to always go and, and research stuff before you just go off the rocker, we'll say, in terms of arguing <laughs> against it or, or what it can and can't do. Uh, I always recommend people go get their own information and, um, you know, it, that way, be educated. You know, don't just flip out about things you don't know. Get educated about it, and um, and then bring you know your perspective and, and your your background thought process, and let's have a discussion. You know, Bill, when do you see that intersection hit when it's time to uh, jump? With snowmobiles, uh, yeah. just like anything in the power sports, they're usually five to ten years behind automotive, uh, even on the best stuff um and i see it very similar where we're at with snowmobile racing in general now in the bracket classes i think it'll always be there because of cost effectiveness uh you know in bracket i could take my trail sled that i just rode in the up last week take it off the trail put in my asphalt specific components and and be ready to race you know tomorrow um so it's very cost effective there so you know no matter what genre sled you have i I don't think it's ever going to go away there um, but in the heads-up classes, you know, ProMod is pretty much almost exclusively already fuel injection just because it runs the four-stroke turbo stuff. There are still a few two-strokes out there with carburetors, um, but they're becoming less and less competitive. Um, you know, the fuel injection has kind of already taken over there. In the pro-stock classes, I think before it truly, truly takes over, it's probably still another five years out. Um, right now it's still in somewhat of its infancy stages uh, in snowmobile racing. It's always been out there, 
but in the past it's not been cost effective or easy to use you kind of had to be a rocket scientist to figure it out but now with some of these new car based systems it is also making it easier to change your setup in snowmobiles too so um i still see it five years out before it becomes the predominant um but again the dynos right now and in, in the the world record holders in in the pro stock type classes are still carbureted so um again the foreseeable future still see a, a very good mix you know i i still think it's a solid five years out before we'll say there's any true changeover or takeover yeah you know we were taking a look at everything when we had a, the pre-production meeting um and Right now, for racing, for all styles of drag racing, we are at a weird crossroads in the next 10 years, even on the uh, car side. You know, I mean, with uh, we have um, William Thorpe coming up. We didn't know too many Williams. William Thorpe, for uh, the, the Division Three guy from director for the NHRA, and they're talking about having their own, like, electric class, Tesla class kind of thing. You want to talk about people who, like, <laughs> you'll see the Civil War. That's why they gave them their own um, division, you know, because the gas guys will not go to electric, most of them. And electric guys, that's why they're electric guys. They're not going to the ice engines anymore. And so now we're going to see a whole lot of changing of the guard. And evidently that snowmobiles did not miss this. And I don't mean electric ones, but I mean they're going from the, the carburetors that everybody's known and love. And, you know, and there's some true artists who can set up carburetors. I mean, there's some guys that are just, and I'll have, you know, nothing new that you know. But, I mean, it's, there's some phenomenal guys that that's going to be taken away from them. That kind of, a, as they perceive the advantage, will be taken away from them only because, you're right, the march of time. Uh, how many, you know, carburetor companies can you name now that in the 60s, how many could you name? Thousands. Right. Thousands. But, and, and, you know. and the other thing with it is as, uh, you know, the next generation of, of up-and-coming racers mm. or, or people that are interested. Absolutely right. You know, they've all grown up with the electronic side of the world, whether it be phones or computers or whatever. And, and that's where, you know, the new style ignitions, you know, I, I tune my snowmobile, even though it's carbureted, but my MSDs ran through a laptop. And, and how do you evolve to make sure you have those next group of racers and the next generation of racers? Um, you know, they don't want to we'll say get their hands dirty and get gas all over their hands, right? They want to hit a couple <laughs> key strokes and, and make the changes that way. And, and you have to yeah. understand that as well, because otherwise we're all going to age ourselves out of it. And then what? Um, and all the time and effort that all of us with carburetors or, or whatever have, have worked for all goes away too, because we haven't allowed ourselves to introduce that next generation to maybe what they are used to or what works for them at the same time. So, it's a very fine balance, and I think you see that in all of racing, that you, you know, the ones that started it and got it to where it has to be still have to be open-minded enough to allow that next generation to come in as well, because if we don't, everything we've done is gone. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about, too. I mean, as and you hit it right on the head there, Bill. I mean, and when we see it on the car side, we see the guys that, that show up with their fine snap-on toolbox. I mean, there's one racer, that older gentleman, that had a chrome Sears timing light. And he would never give that up for the world. He went on a very nice, eloquent, 
dissertation about uh, these kids with the laptops and the chips, and they don't even know how to take off a valve cover, etc. You know, whereupon which the guys that bring out the laptops, and with a couple of chips, they can gain another 200 horse. I'm being facetious, but uh, it's like, why should I get, like you said, why should I get dirty? Why should I get oily when everything that I need right here is telling me what to do? Yeah, they're, they're better. That's why we're saying that we're right at the apex on a lot of this stuff. Kind of exciting, Absolutely. really. You know, it, it is, and, and, it, and it's all how you embrace it and and make sure everybody's you know voice is still heard. You know, mm-hmm. it's not hey, you guys got us here. You guys have been putting in the time. You know, we don't need to talk to you anymore. Um, but also making sure that everybody has an understanding that you know, and, and again, research and, and understand what can and cannot be done with some of this new stuff that you may not know about. Yeah, because how many times, well, if we go to fuel injection, my car or my snowmobile can only run in reverse. You know, it it will take away the sport. It'll take, I mean, sometimes, (laughs) and we hear it on the car side. I don't know if you hear it on the snowmobile side, but there are some times where people start talking about rule changes or changes whatsoever, and there's so tin hat out there Without and I, and you're very you're being very diplomatic, Bill, and God bless you. You know because there's some people that sound like absolute dimwits who, <laughs> when when they're bracing against change, they give some of the weirdest reasons for it, and you kind of like, are you serious? And you roll your eyes and you go, God love you, man. But that's not how life's going. And you're right. If sometimes if people just peek and, and you know look at. What this new thing does or whatever, they calm down a little bit. It's They're not going to get you. You're not going to be phased out. You'll always be a part of drag racing. You know, it's but this is the, the march of time. I mean, how many people have flathead engines anymore? You know? Right. And the biggest thing is, you know, you have to take your emotions out of it because you're going to be emotional about your setup or your thought process. And, and that's the biggest thing with any rule changes or any change in general. Um, especially as drag racers, because we're all ego-driven. We want to win. We want to beat the guy next to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get emotional about it. And you have to, with change, you have to take your emotions out of it and and focus on what's best for the group and and have your feedback heard that way, and that's how it's heard the best at the same time. If, if our listeners don't get anything out of this, and I'm going to go a little bit on his side here, listen to how Bill Alexander explains his group explains the rules, explains the point of view coming from him, you know, and that's why you see, you know, the Michigan Snowmobile Asphalt Drag Race Association, man, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to have to go just for the letters. Why that MSAD thing? Right. <laughs> Thank you. It, that's why it, it's phenomenal to watch. It's fascinating to watch this group in action. Now, there's always, Bill will be by some kind of dry erase board, and there's always some kind of controlled chaos. Does that make sense to you? I mean, not chaos in the crazy sense, but there seems to be. (laughs) chaos. We did a good job if you didn't see the chaos, but it's controlled chaos, absolutely. When you're, again, when we, I can't thank the Ledfords for the opportunity they Mm -hmm. give us up there, but they. Uh, you know, they do kind of let us run our own race, but it, it's mutually beneficial. We just have, you know, Mike and, and his team, you know, we tell, they tell us when to go and we kind of tell them when we're ready. And at the same time, and then we kind of run the show. 
you know, in terms of getting everybody si- assigned and set up and things like that. But it's absolutely a, a, a controlled chaos behind the scenes thing that uh, <laughs> we've we haven't perfected by any means. There's definitely room for improvement, especially as the group has grown. There's over the last two years through COVID, which has been a, a great thing. We've grown leaps and bounds, and, and with that comes growing pains. And what used to work for 30 and 40 sleds doesn't work for 60 and 70 sleds and, and how you arrange things. So we've had to do some changes on the fly, taking feedback from our racers again, and, and, and it's gotten smoother, and there's some ideas that we have yet for this season to even try to help make it even smoother yet. All right. Rule books, NHRA is now in Michigan. All right. So now they got a track here. Are you going to run? I mean, does NHRA have a full class for you guys yet? I mean, they should have, right? They used to, um, and unfortunately, I'll be very upfront. The rules are what killed it. They used to have a Division One and a Division Three um, pro stock class, and they couldn't agree on rules. So then, one, they started each division started running under different rules, and now we're five years removed from that, and there is no NHRA classes anymore. Um, Ooh, and, and that's unfortunate. Um, because that used to kind of be the upper echelon in terms of what you look for, right? Because you could go, and they had it where they were on the national, at the national races, they had one out in Epping with the national tour, and then they had one in Brainerd with a national tour, and you got to be on TV, you got to race for the Wally, be right next to everybody else, and unfortunately rules uh, divided it, and nobody could come to an agreement. So uh, there are, you know, we race under IHRA, um, because obviously mid-Michigan is the track we, we primarily race at there, and, and so we do abide by IHRA safety rules. Um, there are some IHRA rules still in a rule book, but those are ancient. Uh, they haven't been updated in, since 2008, 2009. <laughs> I've talked to uh, the IHRA rules director. Mike has got me in contact with him um, you know, a, a few different occasions, and they're definitely looking to us for as we go through here, especially over the next, 12 to 14 months probably update some of that stuff um, because our group has grown to where it's at. So um, we kind of run under our own rules. Uh, again, bracket is universal. Uh, there's a, group, a really good group that's been actually doing it longer than us over in Wisconsin, um, but they've kept it a little smaller, which ain't a bad thing. Uh, and the bracket guys are all on the same set of rules, basically no delay boxes and be, and be safe. Um, the heads-up classes, um that's where some here we are with the rules again, and, and there are some groups starting to deviate from some of the rules from a couple of years ago. Um, there's you know some that are trying to keep the rules together, which I am definitely a firm believer in. If you can have the same set of rules across more areas, more tracks, more locations, it it allows for that um, east versus west rivalries and, and different group rivalries in the ability to travel and not be at a disadvantage. Uh, going to you know a different track if if you're on an off weekend with us and, and go somewhere else. So um, most of the groups we do talk. You know all the other uh, people that run these other groups we do talk quite a bit and, and try to stay as consistent as possible. But there are also individual rules based off the group that you do race with uh, in in the heads up classes. All right. So when last uh, we remember, uh, you guys were you're right thirty to forty and boy that was a lot. You know, now you doubled it. You know, so when you're taking over the world, when you're going to absorb everybody else and just have one big umbrella and it'd be you guys? Uh, I hope, personally, I hope never. Because um, <laughs> I do think having diversity and having these different groups, you know, in different areas. Uh, I heard uh, there's a, a group that used to race quite a bit 
over at Empire Dragway in New York. They're getting a, a class back together um, from some of the things, which is which is great to hear. You got the group out in, in Wisconsin that uh, a lot of those guys come and travel to our races, and and we have some guys that travel back and forth and go over there when we can. I've heard of another group maybe getting started up over in Minnesota, and I think the more diversity in, in having more groups in different areas actually only benefits um, and allows for easier growth versus just having one large group that's based here in Michigan. And okay, if you want to go race with them, you got to travel. So whereas if I can travel and race against 20, 25 people here in my backyard, cool. And if I get a chance to maybe go for their big two day weekend, then we all go over there as a group and, and things like that. And then we have obviously our, our, you know, world series or our grand finale that we always have at uh, at the end of the year which is, is the shootout and that brings all these groups together that's how all these groups actually started was because you always had the one race at the end of the year so you were either testing and tuning or kind of doing that type of thing all over the place and then you get to go race one time a year and that's how the, all these groups started and, and to hey that one race at the end of the year is cool instead of just us testing and tuning on a Wednesday night or on a Friday night, let's get together and actually make something of it and start this race series. And that, that's how it was started, uh, you know, seven plus years ago is, you know, let's stop testing and tuning U five or seven over here, U five or seven over here. And let's all go to a race once a month somewhere. And so I, I don't, I hope it never comes under one roof just for that fact. Cause I think it, it, it allows it to grow better when there's more people doing it in more places. Um, but you know, that, that's just my personal take on it. And I, I, I hope it goes that way. I know that Alan Davidson once said more people, more headaches. So <laughs> there's always growing pains as, as the group grows. There's always growing pains because you have more personalities and more people. And, and, and so there's always those too. But uh, again, I think having more groups in more places and, and having that open line of communication between groups to have some commonality at the same time is, is I think, the best thing for snowmobile asphalt racing long-term. Okie dokie. So now you get to go race, and we were taking a look at the schedule there, and it looks like you guys almost own every other week in the summer over at mid-Michigan. My gosh, you're there a lot. Not a uh, bad yep, thing. Our, yep, we race there. Uh, that's where our schedule is raced at, obviously, the way Mike Ledford, Mary Jo, and the, and the group up there have supported us, you know, since the beginning is second to none. And it, it, and a lot of the racers forget that we don't own the racetrack because it feels like we do own the racetrack. Uh, something different this year that myself and Mike had talked about uh, all through last year and, and even a little bit at the end of the year before, um, but we were both hesitant to do it, is our group has grown to the point where we're maybe starting to upset some of his test and tune cars because they feel like we take it over and Whoa. they might not get as many passes. However, we actually are the ones that don't oil down the track and cause any disturbance. <laughs> we kind of we, we go through and, and do our thing and get out, and get out of the way. Um, they actually cause us to slow down in some cases. So Mike has noticed that, and, and we've noticed that. And so this year what we're doing is, is except for the very first race date on May 14th, yeah. <laughs> All of our other race dates, um, Mike is opening up the track where we will actually be on track starting at noon, and we will probably only have the finals going on when the track opens up for their open test and tune. So it will be very almost our own race days, um, which it allows Mike to 
uh, not only take care of us, but also take care of his test and tune cars, which uh, he has to, obviously. That's where you breed your next line of, um, you know, bracket cars and class racers and, and stuff like that. You have to make sure that those guys are taken care of, and, and it allows us to continue our growth and, and have our time at the same time. So it, it, I think it's a, a great decision and a great thing for both parties because, um, again, it gives us our own race day. We can run our own program get it done in the factor that we get it done and and then it allows our racers two different things you can you know after our our awards at the end of the night uh for the race day you can either stay and party and hang out and then drive home in the morning you can if you got to get home at a decent hour get home or you want to stay there and test and tune great well we can stay there and test and tune so um i think it's it's the best decision as we grow and as his car count has grown for his test and tunes too, I mean, we we used to race there, and there was 15, 20 cars there to mm-hmm. test and tune. So it, it was very easy for everybody to get. But now he's got over 100 plus, 125, 130 cars. Sometimes we last year I think we even seen 200 cars on a test and tune night. Well, and and trying to race that while we race our program, you know, it, it gets tough for both sides. So let's get this right then. So they gave you like a like a full Friday. Saturdays. Or a full um, Saturday. And then we do we do have we do have two weekends where we do make it a Friday Saturday and, and we basically privately rent the track on Friday. But on okay. Saturday, um, he'll open the gates for us early in the morning and we will be on track at noon and we will run through our program and usually to run a full sixty sled bracket program uh, and then the two heads up classes we'll say with eight sleds apiece, a couple qualifiers apiece. We usually get that program done in about five, five and a half hours. So um, we'll be finishing up about five thirty, six o'clock, right when he's opening the gates for his test and tune to start from, you know, 6 to 11 at night. So, woo, woo, woo. Uh, it, it'll work out great for, like you said, I think all parties involved where everybody will be able to have the track time that they want and uh, nobody will get in each other's way. Yeah, the, the funny, it did make us laugh, though. <laughs> it's like we're not the ones that oil down. <laughs> And it's true. You're right. You don't. I mean, that that's got to over the last couple of years. We I I keep track of a lot of that stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm an analytics person, and I know Mike does too. In terms of I track how long it takes us to do a round. I I track all throughout the year how many times we have downtime where somebody, uh, you know, loses a part or, or has a breakdown and stuff like that. I track yeah. all of that throughout a year and. Over the last two years, we've had less than 20 minutes of total downtime uh, caused by a snowmobile in two years. And we're talking over 2,200-plus passes made, and and we have less than 20 minutes of downtime. So, um, And 15 minutes of it was at one race. Um, so we, yeah. we, I, we pride ourselves on having good, safe equipment at, at the same time and, and making sure that everybody that comes there uh, – my favorite saying in, in drivers' meetings is, is we all got here safe, we're all going to get home safe. <laughs> And so, you know, that's a testament to the board, the racers themselves, making sure their equipment's good and, and safe before it gets there. And then, uh, you know, in that turns over to downtime at the track. We have very, very minimal of it. So All right. it works out for everybody. Well, here, you know, as everybody knows here uh, at CK, we love mid-Michigan. You know, I mean, we sincerely do wish one time that we could get Brian and Mary Jo on because they think coming on constitutes advertising and they don't advertise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People love that. They were our track to watch in 2020, and they're also in 2021 because of COVID and all that stuff. But he is 
the cool thing about him is that he puts in uh, as soon as the uh, season is done, they already know what improvements they're going to do, and they do them. That track is like one of the nicest tracks around here. And if you live around the Detroit metropolitan area or Toledo and you've never been up there, you got to go. And I don't mean just go because of the ice cream, which is unbelievably good. You know, but I partake in that too. Yeah. <laughs> but the track is is spotless. You know, if mm-hmm. it's when they put in the walls, they seem every year they put in some kind of huge upgrade that just makes it that much better. It's really the gem of Mid Michigan. It really is. It's one of our favorite tracks to go to, and we're going to lean on you to try to figure out how we can broadcast from there because of the uh, internet problem. But I mean, I know how I told you that I know, I know how uh, I know what the secret is. That's why we're going to lean on you only because psst, 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 fans of drag racing out there. Did you not just hear what, what uh, Bill said just a few minutes ago for your, whatever your race dollar is, whatever they're charging up in mid-Michigan, it should be about 200 bucks, 300 bucks, you know, just to see these guys race. But my God, if you can get up there in a full day racing, and it's beautiful around, around Stanton, um, it's like you could see these sled guys go crazy all morning long into the afternoon. Go get yourself an ice cream around 536 o'clock. Um, and then come back, see the cars. My God, that's a whole crazy day of drag racing. I mean, you can go to the movies and for 20 bucks, go see Shrek for 90 minutes and you'll forget about them in about a day. But you, I guarantee you, you'll never forget about when you see these snowmobiles go crazy speeds over 100 miles per hour, which used to be a big deal. You know, but I mean, these guys step it up even faster than that. And this is not a novelty. This is serious stuff. You know, and I mean, these cars go fast. I mean, these snowmobiles go faster than some of your cars, you know, and look at what they've got. If something happens, oops, they're that close. I mean, it's not like a, you know, a, a Tony Chilin's, uh thrill ride kind of expo. I mean, these guys are, are really going at it. And again, yeah, you can call it controlled chaos because you're in the thick of it. But as people on the outside, as fans, as somebody who's just watching it, this thing looks smooth as silk. Here comes the next two, the next two, the next two. And the way that MidMichigan runs their track, there's no fooling around. There's no goof. It's next two, next two. And we got six of them all ready to go. We got the safety safaris over there. It's a beautiful track. They have all kinds of stands. You you won't run out of stands if you're going to bring the whole family. Go see the mid, the mid Michigan. I was going to say, yeah, the mid Michigan track, but I mean, you're going to double your dollar if you go on these test and tune days. Which, but I mean, for uh, Bill's group, it's not a test and tune. It's kind of like here's the full show and here's uh, the stuff at the end. I'm telling you, man, that's exciting. How many of those days yeah, you got this year, Bill? Um, we have, I think, six. There's six Saturdays and two Fridays, um, and I think I don't think they've changed the prices, but I think it's only 13 bucks to get in, and that gets you in if you come in to watch us race, or or even if you're you know part of the race group that we have, it's 13 bucks, and, and they don't charge you to go back out and come back in at, at 5:30. <laughs> so um, you know they're very accommodating, but uh, yeah, we have our our six races. We have May 14th, June 4th, 
Our biggest weekend is our Memorial Race Weekend, which is June 24th and 25th. Um, that one, as long as the weather is always good and plays nice with us, we usually have quite a few people that travel uh, to come up to that race. We have really big payouts for that. Um, and the meaning behind the race is, is a big deal for a lot of people. And then we have July 9th. And July 30th is scheduled right now as our last points race of the year. Um, and then we have a the end of August, which I believe it's the 25th and 26th or the 26th, 27th, however that Friday, Saturday falls, is our kind of our year-end fun run, um, non-points, or if we happen to have a rainout, that becomes a our final points race. So, um, you know, six Saturdays, a couple Fridays in there. Um, you know, all of them will start at noon. And, uh, you know, we we get a, we run a good program. Actually, me and Mike talk about it. Sometimes we run it too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, we no run through. Thing. Last year we timed it a couple times. We will run a full 80 sleds through, so about 60 bracket sleds and, and 20 heads-up sleds. We can run them through in less than 18 minutes. You need that. I mean, talking as a fan, and it's brilliant that you do that, Bill, only because talking on the fan, sitting on a steel or on a aluminum um, seat in the sunshine, you know, it gets a little warm or and or it gets a little uncomfortable. When there's action, 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 action is always the attraction in drag racing. Rule of thumb. And that's what keeps the fannies in not only in the seats, but keeps them coming back for more. So if God bless you, Bill, I mean, thank you for doing I'll, I'll say for all fans, because sometimes there's tracks that will do uh, six vehicles, wait 20 minutes, so four vehicles, wait 20 minutes, two vehicles, wait 20 minutes. You know, it, it's that all that downtime where people go, why are we here? And for the younger folks, they don't like seeing nothing. You know, they don't. Oh, and I have, I have, you know, kids myself and, and I go and it was, I shoot, I'm, you know, definitely second fiddle to Steve we had on previously. Uh, my kids love going and seeing his, you know, his funny car at, uh, we go to the funny car. Uh, mm-hmm nationals at us 131 and i have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and trying to keep them entertained and um and anybody and that's where uh, the beauty of ours is and you were you know you saw it, it you know mm-hmm. i'm not just saying it and, and not providing it you guys were up there you've seen how we run them through yep um but also how accommodating all the racers are you've walked through the pits and and everybody wants to talk about them i mean most of the time they'll let you sit on them and, and look at them and and most people in Michigan have had some sort of something around snowmobiles somewhere in their life, whether mm-hmm. it was a family friend, an uncle, or somebody. You used to ride them way back when, and you'll see something of everything. We got guys that run 1978, 79 snowmobiles all the way up to the brand new ones that you see today. So more than likely you're going to see something that you've seen somewhere before or triggers a memory. And, and everybody, just like the car guys, we, we love to talk about them. We love to – take pictures with them and, and just have a good old time. So even when they're not running down the track, uh, it's very low key in the pits and, and everybody's very hospitable. Uh, if you want to come around and ask questions. Yeah. So just hop on one of the snowmobiles and take off for a spin. They'll love it <laughs> until they yeah, get the muscle guy. Actually, we, we have, there is some talk about having uh we'll say rent a wreck, uh, I guess is easiest <laughs> and, and possibly having some slower speed, uh, put together, safe snowmobiles that if somebody wanted to try uh possibly come especially now that we will be done with our race day prior to test and tune um that you know we're working toward that may become available uh, it's a long-term goal 
That's genius. I mean, if you get a Briggs and Stratton with a governor on it, you know. <laughs> so oh, if I could get kid, bring it up. If I could get a kids class, I will walk away from all of this very, very happy. Um, and that's that's my end goal. Uh, if I could ever get a couple kids classes put together for this and get past some of these insurance hurdles that are out there, um, that would be. I could walk away into the sunset very, very happy. Junior dragster slash snowmobile. Yes. Wow. And have everything scaled down. But you know what? It, it, Unfortunately, in our opinion, what we took a look at, Bill, is exactly what you said at the top of the show. Junior Dragster was a brilliant idea. And then all of a sudden, people started crying about the rules. And now they got, like, Senior Junior Dragster. Eight, and, <laughs> correct. Yep, 8798, exactly. And it would definitely be something that would be very specked out and probably have we'll say six, eight of them, you know, pre-built type of deal, and then they just show up, and then more or less you have the kids sign up when you get there and, and have it be a very fun-related class, not competitive. And I'm not one for participation trophies. Don't get me wrong. I, I think those are the worst thing that's ever happened. Um, but have it be more of that just to get some acclimation to it uh, so that way when they do become 16 years old and, and can ride a full-size one, uh, they've had some experience versus just trying to, start new and start fresh and and that's the best thing i've been part of this group since the very first meeting and last year we was the first time we saw some of the the kids that were 10 9 10 11 years old when we first started this they were finally able to race last year and that was you know one of those really cool things to be part of to see that start of, of that next generation that were the kids in the in the trailer seven years ago and they, they got their chance last year. So yeah. uh, hopefully that continues on. All right, talking about continuing on, we're just about out of time. We better talk about quickly your sponsors this year. Um, working on a lot of those right now. Uh, that's part of the break that we've had in terms of that. I do know talking to a lot of them, uh, most of them are going to come, planning on coming back for this year, but I haven't locked any of them down. Uh, I do know our title sponsor, Snow Studs, is back for this year, and, and I appreciate Dave and, and his crew over there. Uh, for continuing uh, the title sponsor, and uh, more to come on the Facebook page with the rest of the sponsors for this year. And heads up, uh, Holly EFI, if you have a kit for snowmobiles, you might want to think about being a sponsor to these fellows <laughs> and ladies, I should say, and quickly. Yep, We do have quite a few ladies that are racing, actually. I've seen, uh, I think we're going to have two or three more race with us again this year, so... Uh, very diverse group, which is great to see. We have anybody from 16 years old all the way up to, I believe, for sure in their 60s. We might even have somebody in their 70s and um, everywhere in between, both ladies and, and guys. So it's, uh, it's it's cool to see. And, again, there's always a class for everybody uh, based off whatever level of, of competition you want to be involved in as well as, as money. Okay, Bill, where can they get a hold of you? Where can they find you? Uh, best part is, is go to the Facebook page, Michigan Snowmobile Asphalt Drag Racers Association. Uh, it's on Facebook. If you're not a member, put it in an inquiry. Uh, I know myself and, and Lisa pretty much peruse that and, and get people on there quite a bit. Uh, all the information posted on there, all the sponsor stuff uh, will be posted on there shortly. Uh, I'm known, uh, I know Todd Durham's even talked about it. Uh, I'm known for the Sunday videos I post on there during yes. the season to keep everybody well informed. Um, I've always said I will always over-communicate. That way you can never say you didn't hear it. Um, and it, I think it, it does help on race day and, and uh, helps with the way things are ran because everybody has heard it before 
And so there's an expectation when they get there, it's not just a, a free-for-all and a, and a surprise. So uh, over-communication, I think, has helped a lot uh, with what we've been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about which, we just want to tell all the CKWI Radio 76 affiliates down the line that we ran a little bit over with Mr. Alexander, but that's okay. I'll smooth it over with the owner. I know him personally. Also, that will make up the time. And the uh, Detroit Sports Authority is coming up here at 7 o'clock tonight. All right, so now, here, kids, seriously, think about 13 bucks. Take some extra because you want some of the ice cream up there. I don't know where Mary Jo gets it. I don't know if she makes it herself, however it goes. I mean, the cool thing is if you get Mike and Mary Jo aside, you know, they're not scary people. They're just in great deal thought. But once you get them talking, they're some of the nicest folks ever. Also, what you also want to do, and, and Bill hit, just hit it on the head, and we want to mention this briefly, you can sneak in to Bill's Garage Summits that he does. I mean, you can see the, the garage door and whatever little track on the top of the roof when he's talking, so you know that he's not at some fancy Dan kind of place. He lets everybody know transparency should be Bill's middle name. I mean, every week, all the time, this is what's going on, this is what's going next. You don't even have to be a member of, of the group to uh, appreciate how well this thing is run and how there's no surprises as far as we can see. And when he's right, when all these guys and ladies get to the track, it's like, let's hit it and get it. There's nothing that's ambiguous. There's what are we doing today? How are we going to run this thing? If there's ever a group that needs to have a template of how to run a, a group and how to communicate with the group and how to keep everybody involved, Go see how William Alexander runs not only the, the garage summits, but when he's there, and yes, I realize there's other folks that help him. However, as far as we know, Bill is like kind of the point man, and you can't miss him. It's a phenomenal thing to do. 13 bucks is cheap, you know, to go see the Michigan Snowmobile Asphalt Dragger Association by themselves. And then you get you get cars, you get snowmobiles, you get ice cream, you get to have your picture taken next to Mary Jo, <laughs> uh, et cetera. It's, it's something that's phenomenal. If you've never seen it before, not only go take a look at it on YouTube. You can see some of the snowmobile drag racing. It's not the same as seeing them. It's not the same as talking to them. And, yes, they all have their leathers on and they got their full facers on and stuff like that. But they'll talk to you. They're not boogeymen. Even that big guy, the muscle dude, and I believe that's the one that we talked to when we were there before. Um, are, are, you'll find drag racers are kind of the most friendly of all. And these guys, you think, oh, my God, it's 85 degrees and they're in full leather. <laughs> Give these folks some water. Anyways, Bill, thanks so very much. Stand on the line for just a moment. We want to go over some stuff with you. Absolutely. And thank you, John, for uh, the opportunity to, to have a chat. It's always a good time. Sure, I'm glad that you're here. Anyways, uh, Bill Alexander. You know what? It always says William. Which one do you like better? I've been called worse, so <laughs> either either works for me. <laughs> All right. Mr. Alexander from the Michigan the Snowmobile Asphalt Drag Racers Association. <laughs> here with the Doobie Brothers on the only station that gives a damn about the greatest sport on earth, and that's drag racing. CKW, <laughs> Radio 76.